Hello, heroes, cowards, people named Dave, and combinations of the three. Welcome to Rig Radio. My name is Mario Gretzky. I'm a prominent NHL hockey player, and I am joined by famed venture capitalist, Monday morning quarterback, and Sunday night existentialist, Megan, name redacted. Megan, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well, except that I've been awake uh, far too long on a Saturday already, and it's only noon. In the immortal words of Nasty Nas, never sleep, because sleep is the cousin of death. <laughs> You're playing it right, sister. Uh, on my other virtual side, I have researcher, kickboxing champion, and co-founder of Ms. Magazine, Avery Lewis McDonald, or McDougal. How are you, Avery? What's shaking? Not much. I have defended my my. my... My kickboxing title has been, has been fought for 14 times in the past two months. So, you know, things are going well in the kickboxing world. In the immortal words of Gertrude Stein, what a man, what a man, what a man, what a man, what a mighty good man. Well wow. done, Avery. Uh, all right. This week in Edmonton Oilers, one glaring piece of news. We lost. We got swept. We got beaten by the best. Is there shame in that? Hey, we lost four straight games to the Colorado Avalanche. Um, I thought they were four straight. Uh, they were four straight games in which, like, I don't think we got destroyed in any of them. Um, but I do think the Avs were the better team in uh, all four. And usually in hockey, you win at least one of those, maybe even two sometimes if you get some breaks. But the, re- the Avs were slightly better, got the refing breaks, got the bounce breaks. Avery, how do you feel? Should the Oilers be ashamed? No, they should not be ashamed, considering how this year went when back in – um, early 2022, they are out. They are outside the picture. They are on the decline. They are free falling very hard. Considering what they've done in the past few months, they should be proud of what they've done over the past few months. And he said right there, Stephen, the Colorado Avalanche, they're the best of the best. They're an absolute buzzsaw. They're a juggernaut. And I think most people thought they're going to win this series in um, five or six. I don't think people had a, many people call it a, a sweep, but had Colorado going forward. But no, no shame in that. The Avalanche are just that dang good. That's a beautiful sentiment. I just want to say I've been corrected by producer Gary tells me that I misquoted Gloria Stein or Gertrude Stein. It was Gloria Steinem. (laughs) Megan Fowler. uh, Should the others be ashamed? How'd you feel about that sweep? No, I thought the last time we did this, I said that the albums were going to win in five or six. I didn't think that they would sweep, but no, Um, I think that uh, the others shouldn't necessarily be ashamed that they got swept, but I do think that, um, maybe some of the people in the front office should be ashamed of some of the decisions that they made in the last offseason um, because some of those decisions, I believe, significantly handicapped the team uh, here in the third round of the playoffs. Don't get coy with us, sister. Which decisions are you talking about? Oh, Mike Smith, I think, is uh, a, a, an issue. And I know that you are not a Mike Smith hater the way that a lot of other people are. I can I'm see it go on to your face. Here's, here's a teaser. For a few minutes from now, I'm going to go to a qualified bat for Mike Smith. But go ahead, uh, make make your point. Yeah, it's nice that we're doing this on camera as well because I can see on your face that you're ready to fight. But um, I do <laughs> much like Smith himself. <laughs> I do think uh, Mike Smith is a fine backup goaltender. That I don't think that there's anybody who can argue with that. I think he's a fine backup goaltender. Um, I think that the problem that they run into with Mike Smith is that he's 40 years old. And I realize that that's not old in the grand scheme of things, but in the professional hockey world, that's pretty old. And at some point in time, um, 
you have to at least look at that when you're, you know, signing, drawing up contracts and thinking of those things that perhaps maybe um, signing him to a two-year deal, sort of giving him the nod that like, yeah, we want you around. We believe that you're going to be good for our team. Um, and then having a young goalie in Stuart Skinner who sees very little action, but at some point in time has to see some action. Uh, I just think that their goaltending um, was a larger problem this series than it was against Calgary, where Calgary's goaltending was also terrible. The Avs did not have the same goaltending handicap, and I think that's one of the reasons why the Oilers were unable to uh, win even a single game. Undoubtedly. This is part of my Mike Smith defense. The reason why it's qualified is everything you just said is true. Uh, All of that is accurate. There's only two things that I might... Um, push back a little bit on, as you said, he's like a, he's an okay backup goaltender or a good backup. I would say he's a good one B he's a good platoon guy. Like his stats, when he gets hot, he's extremely streaky, but when he streaks up, he's among the best goalies in the league. That's true for the last month of the NHL season, not for a couple of games for the entire last month, he led the NHL in goals saved above average. So at a certain point, you either have to stop pretending that you care about uh, objective data and that only uh, the mainstream journalists crap narratives um, or you and admit, sorry, what, which way to say? Oh yeah. Stop pretending that or admit that he was excellent for a month. A month is a really long time to be excellent for. Um, so I think he's, he's a good platoon guy. If he's with someone else that you can like, uh, reasonably trust. And the other thing I'll push back on is 40 is not that old in the grand scheme of things. 40 is not ancient in the grand scheme of things, but if you drop that at 40, no one will use the word tragedy. They will say it's a shame. But if you like, if you die at uh, 21, people will be like, "This is awful." A youth taken before their time. Whereas at 40, they're like, "Well, that's too bad. Should have gotten a, a while longer." But you know, and um, so I would say 40 is kind of old in the grand scheme of things. Uh, but enough about. I was just trying to be kind because there's at least one of us on this podcast who is 40. What a nice thing. <laughs> <laughs> um. That's one of many things Mike Smith and I have in common. Uh, <laughs> I, by the way, I've had four people in the last two weeks uh, walk up to me. Some of them I knew. A couple of them were strangers. Like, hey, man, you look like Mike Smith. And that's interesting because when I had almost the same haircut but was clean shaven, I used to get you look like Ryan Smith. And then uh, also interchangeably with you look like Kelso from that 70s show. And I don't look like any of these people. And the lesson is white people can't tell the difference between white people either. We just go by the haircut. You look so, a lot much more like Mike Smith than you do the other two. I think if if I was to look like any oiler, I think I you as you yourself pointed out, I think I look closer to Duncan Keith than Mike Smith. But Mike Smith's there, face but I'm, those is more three, famous. You look more like Mike Smith, but yes, the Duncan Keith comparison I think is. I don't look a thing like Ryan Smith. We look nothing alike, other than <laughs> we were both white guys with essentially the same haircut for a while. So um, anyway, enough about the bad facial recognition software and human beings. The thing that I, my, my qualified defense of Mike Smith is a, you have to admit that he streaks up and he can be very good. And I think uh, some people uh, were far too stingy in his LA series. He had two shutouts. He had a game seven shutout. He was good in the LA series other than the two games he gave away, uh, which is like a weird, I'm not saying that Mike Smith is great or that you want him to be your starter, but I will say that for $2 million, and this is the heart of my argument, for $2 million, if you've got a goalie who finished, I don't have the stats in front of me, but he finished with like over a 915. He might have been closer to 920 in the regular season. That was after a disastrous first month where he looked done. 
and then finish the playoffs with over a 9-10 and a handful of shutouts. That's amazing value for $2 million. The problem with the Oilers is when Mike Smith started to streak down, because like you said, he's 40. Everyone and their dog could see this coming. You can't start a 40-year-old every second game, especially one who at the best of times is streaky and acts strange in big moments. I would it's again, it's totally not true. Some people say he always sucks in big games. He's awesome in a lot of big games, but he does suck in a lot of them also. So he's a total roulette wheel. You're not gonna go deep. I'm impressed they were able to go this deep in the playoffs, and we wouldn't have without, like you said, uh, Markstrom on the Flames acting like a secret agent. So, yeah, Mike Smith was an issue, but the real issue was he was the only goalie that they trusted. Like, it is weird how everyone, especially like smart Oilers Twitter, has just like agreed that, um, uh, what's his name, that Koskinen is a good guy. He's not the problem. Koskinen absolutely is the problem. He's paid twice as much as Mike Smith. That's not Koskinen's fault. I didn't like when Matheson was a jerk to him to his face. Was like, hey, everyone hates you. And once you leave, how do you feel about that? Totally unacceptable. Koskinen is a fine backup goalie. I would pay Koskinen $1.5 million. Koskinen's paid $4.5 million. He played more than double what Mike Smith is. And the team felt they could not trust him, even when Smith was in full roulette wheel mode. There's your problem. It's it's hockey per dollar. The way you win in the in modern NHL is be efficient with your cap. And having Mike Smith give, like, at least goaltending capable of getting them to the third round, even if it was extremely streaky at $2 million is the reason why they were able to fit all this other stuff onto the roster. That's amazing cap efficiency, having a $2 million, even if he's a one B guy, that's incredible. The problem was not Mike Smith. The problem was probably somewhat on the team because they had no idea if uh, Stuart Skinner could be an NHL goalie. They probably should have tested him more down the stretch and they just didn't trust uh, Koskinen. So that was your problem. You got a $2 million Mike Smith. You take that every year. The only reason why they're not begging him to come back at $2 million is he's about to be 41. So now you really can't trust him. But um, yeah, anyway, Rank Avery, you just heard both sides. Would you care to adjudicate? Oh, uh, you know what? I would say that, yes, Mike, the value for Mike Smith was good value. But again, it's a weird point how he's going to be 41. And you can't trust a 41 year old goaltender to do what he did last year. Like, it, it isn't smart. Not every goaltender is going to be like Hashik. Not every guy is going to be like a Hashik or a Johnny Bauer who can play that age and still be effective. But I do feel this team, I've said it before, should have given Skinner more of a chance to show what he could do. Because it's that show. He was the best goaltender among the three that played this year. They should have been playing him way more in the regular season. So if they did need him in the playoffs against, say, um, a Calgary or a Colorado, they could have put him in there and not had him cold, sitting in the press box, sitting by me, eating popcorn in a suit. So I feel Skinner should have been that guy going forward now. But it'll be interesting to see now next year what happens because from what I know, there's rumors that Koskinen is going to go to Europe next year in Switzerland and that Smith will retire most likely. So next year now, you've got a tandem of Stuart Skinner and a free agent goaltender net for the Orleans come this fall. Yeah, um, I don't know. Does anybody else have, before we jump into the offseason, because that's really where the, the meat of the discussion is, anyone else have uh, anything else to say about uh, the series or the Colorado Avalanche or how the Oilers played? We, we were just I talking have... for it. Duncan Keith was not good. He was not no, good. Not he had all. a bad series. And it's uh, also odd to me that some people are in denial over that. He was bad. I'm not a Keith hater, but he was bad in that series. Sorry, Megan, you yeah, he was off. he was not very good at all. Um, and it was interesting. Like normally, when I watch the hockey, and I watched every Oilers playoff game, I would like to admit, and I'll be proud of that. Um, 
usually when I watch, I don't notice Duncan Keith. Like I know lots of people are like, oh, he's so bad at this and so bad at this. I honestly most of the time don't notice unless he gets like very visibly walked. Um, and I noticed him a lot doing things that I was just like, that's not good. But I would like to, this, here's my hot take about the series. You mentioned at the very beginning, uh, the, the abs got some roughing breaks um, and whatnot. And I would like to say that I am not sure that in all of my years of being like a sports fan of any kind, that I have seen a group of fans so unbelievably unhinged about the state of officiating in the game that they're watching. I don't want to say that officiating was great, um, but I don't think it was as bad as a lot of people uh, seem to think that it is. And regardless of how many more power plays the Avalanche had over the Oilers, et cetera, et cetera, Avery and I have talked about this uh, elsewhere uh, with some other people and stuff. The fact of the matter is this. In order to win a hockey game, you still have to score more goals than your opponents. And the Oilers were unable to do so. And they were unable to do so in a game where they scored five goals and in a game where they scored six goals. So, like, regardless of all of the other stuff, you still have to be able to put the puck in the net. Is it harder to do if you're a man down? Sure. Are you a man down for the entire game? No. And so, like, there comes a point where you can say, oh, they got these officiating breaks or whatever. But, like, the job of the guys on the ice is to help put the puck in the net and keep the puck out of the net. And it seems to me that the Knights that uh, they they weren't able to do both of those things on the same night for the most this- part. This is going to pain my contrarian heart to say this, but you are absolutely right. Um, The amount of whining over the officiating is ridiculous. The officiating is actually, I'll go so far as to say, better than it has been in previous years. I do think the Avs got the breaks. Like, There's a lot of 50-50 calls that sometimes they call, sometimes they don't, and or calls that could have gone either way. The offside uh, jumps to mind. Um, And ideally, those things go kind of each team's way an equal number of times in this case the the abs won a lot of coin tosses they they did i think get some breaks in the officiating uh that's hockey baby that's how she goes even if you take those out that was the difference between the oilers losing in four and the oilers losing in five maybe six the abs were just the better team throughout uh there's no way around that and the officiating wasn't that horrible uh even the offside call which i found surreal um it's one goal these happen. Like I, I thought that was offside, but I also hate the offside review. And I wish that the goal would have counted without the review because it was close enough that it was within the the spirit of the rule. Even though the offside, I agree with all of you. It was bizarre. Um, but whatever, that's one goal. And then, yeah, I know we got a penalty for it. You can't kill a penalty. You can't kill a penalty. That's on you. That's them's the breaks. I feel the same way about the Leafs fans whining about the Tavares interference call after the lightning scored a goal in an almost identical play a couple nights ago. Them's the breaks. There's lots of things you do as a player where you're like, there's a 50-50 chance I get an advantage or I get a penalty. And then you do the thing. You can't cry when you get the penalty and the next guy doesn't. That's how coin tosses work. Sometimes it's heads, sometimes it's tails. Avery, commentary. Yeah, no, I agree. No, I definitely agree with that. Talk that, like that. Yeah, it is 50-50. It's, it's a, it can be a coin toss either way. But in that series against Colorado, they still found a way in game one to score six goals against the Avalanche. They had great chances to make that a 7-7 game. As insane as that sounds, that it was we were almost we were on the verge of having a, a 7-7 game going into overtime. The Oilers still found a way to punch back against the Avalanche, but also on the on that offside play in which you know 
Some might say it was offside. Some might say it wasn't, though. On that goal, I love the guy. But that, that sequence, let Dar- to let McCart into the zone, that was a tough play by Darnell Nurse. Like, that was just a poor defensive play on Nurse, allowing Kane, I'm sorry, McCart to take the zone. And if McCart doesn't score, it's a moot point. In, it doesn't really matter. But that was a bad play by Darnell to let McCart come into zone and get that shot off to beat um, Smith in game one there. Uh, I want to just piggyback onto what you just said there. That's a very, very good point that if McCarter, if that goal, if it's not a goal, then um, nobody cares that the play was yeah. like marginally offside. And like, and I get why people got upset about that. Cause it was insane. Like the whole thing was insane. I was watching that game with my parents and my dad and I were like sitting at the dining room table with uh, watching it. And he was just like, how, I don't see how they, how he was like, he was just baffled by the fact that that goal counted but we did talk about it afterwards and like the idea is like yeah if that puck doesn't go in then it doesn't matter that, that they were like marginally offside because like who yeah. cares it was an amazing wrist shot by McCarr. McCarr's amazing we should i'll talk about McCarr in a second i just want to button what we're talking about now which is the refing which was i thought the refing the app got the breaks but it was always within the parameters of what acceptable refing is like it wasn't egregious i've seen series that i did think were kind of ruined by the refing over the last few years this is not one of them but that last game, game four, should have included two five-minute major penalties, in my opinion. That was the one game where I'm like, oh, no, that was ridiculous. That uh, hit from behind from Landeskog absolutely was as bad as the Cassie or the Kane hit uh, the game before. That should have been – maybe not. You could have been the same penalty that Kane got, like not a game expulsion, but that was a five-minute major for boarding. It was crazy that it was a two-minute for holding. That was bizarre. And I don't think uh, McKinnon got anything for that knee on – you need Derek Ryan. Uh, he needs somebody. He was Hyman, but he needs somebody. And it was an egregious knee. Like, I think you could suspend McKinnon for that knee. Um, but he should, like, yeah, I will. Well, I'm defending the refing for the series. And I'm, I don't think the refing through the series for the Oilers. In that game, the Avs did at least two injurious plays, which the refs and the league dramatically underreacted to. And I know I'm an Oilers fan, but I'm honestly not. A refing homer. I usually am arguing that people are just being babies about the refing. Those were two large miscalls. I don't think either of them swung the series, but uh, it was very frustrating because I think the Department of Player Safety is bad, and the refing in the NHL is also not great. I'm not. I just don't think it's the thing to complain about here. Um, but yeah, the last uh, thing I want to bring up is Kale McCarr is the second best player in the world behind McDavid. Is that uh, is that crazy? Do you have another another uh, nominee, Avery? Ooh, you know what? I think McCar. I think McCar is probably he's probably top six or seven. He's top, top ten for sure. I still think Matthews has got to be in my top five above McCar. But I think in due time, McCar could get to that point behind McDavid. But I still think your my 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 top three right now are still McDavid, Drysaddle, and Matthews. But McCar could get there. He could leapfrog these two of those guys as his career continues. Those guys are both great. Also, uh, can't really argue with that. Megan, am I uh, am I filled with madness? No, I think. Uh, well, I don't know. Uh, I think McCarr. He's. I, I, I put him in my top five. What I think is remarkable, though, that the Western Conference Final uh, had two teams with arguably like four of the best five players in the league. Um, and yeah. what's really interesting to me, um, 
two things very clear again i'm going to go back to like the the, the oilers twitter and, and like the twitter people that i sort of pay attention to clearly don't watch a lot of avalanche hockey because people like i had no idea how dirty nathan mckinnon was <laughs> like oh you should watch more on hockey because he's very dirty so is gabriel landescott and this is the thing they're able to capitalize on that they figured out how to do that and not get in trouble for it um and that's just as much a part of their game as any of the other things that they do. But I do think it's it's not insignificant that the Oilers' two best players are up front and Avs have one um, up front and one on defense. And I think that makes all the difference in the world. It does, but the Avs are also, the Avs are just the best team in the league. And I think, especially when healthy, which they're not, they're missing two very important players and they're starting goalie. So three very important players and they still were a wrecking machine. It was like first half of the movie Clever Lang out there. They were an absolute wrecking machine. <laughs> Beating the crap out of us. We were rocky, and we lost, and uh, Mick died, and that's it. There's no rest of the movie. Um, yeah, they wow. are so good. Like, even after McKinnon and McCarr, uh, Ranton is one of the, probably a top 10 player, for sure a top 20 player. Kadri has been playing like a top 10 player uh, <laughs> recently. This is by far a career year for him, but he's been amazing. Devin Tabes is an amazing defenseman. Um Sam Gerrard, when healthy, is a very good defenseman. He wasn't even in the series. Uh, Landeskog, as you mentioned, is very good. They are just, they're the best team in the league. I, as dirty as, and what a sourpuss. McKinnon just is such a sourpuss. One of the sourest pusses I've ever seen. He just looks so frowny-faced all the time. Do you know who uh, else also looks so frowny-faced all the time? Are you about to say me or Leon Dreisaitl? I'm going to say Garner McDavid. Oh, yeah, he also works. (laughs) He... They look they they look three different versions of sour pustedness though. Um, mm-hmm. It's different. We could, we could study like joyless facial expressions by focusing on those three. And which maybe I'll I'll tie a button on the Oilers uh, playoff run by saying this is the first time in his career I've seen Connor McDavid regularly display human emotion. Mm-hmm. I honestly. I'm curious what brought it about. Like, was it just the winning? The winning seems like an obvious explanation, but we've gone on like runs before, and he didn't seem this pumped up or engaged or happy. I have, it's not something that I believe. I'm just going to throw it out there as a possibility. As much as uh, I don't, I genuinely think he should have been suspended by the league and not signed by anyone. Like the league should have prevented anybody from signing Evander Kane. However, temporarily compartmentalizing the stuff uh, that we know about him that makes us not like him. I do think that the Oilers other than Mike Smith and Darnell Nurse, were one of the blandest personality teams in the league. No one on that team, maybe you could even add Josh Archibald to the list of people first, but even he, he wasn't like outspoken about any of the, the weird things he believed. The Oilers were extremely bland for a team that's so loaded with like the two high-end guys. They just weren't, they didn't have a ton of personality. Uh, and then Kane shows up and he's loaded with personality. Um, and I don't know. I don't like the term. I don't honestly, I don't think it's swagger. I really think it was just like human engagement. Like when he was, uh, doing, uh, counting the number of games that's going to, to the fans, taking his hat off when he scored a hat trick, he just carries himself with a certain amount of personality and like engagement with the moment. He doesn't have that detached Terminator like focus that McDavid has. He has a, Oh, I'm right here in the moment. I'm riding this thing. And I don't know if that I'm always hesitant to like leadership in general is just such a vague nebulous concept that it's easy to attribute things to when it was actually a coincidence. So I don't want to take that theory too far, but I, I do wonder if playing with Kane actually helped Connor tap into uh, his Grinch like heart. 
Avery, that's the dumbest thing you've ever heard, or is that something else I said earlier? <laughs> well, first of all, no, I will, I will point out that, yeah, for the most part, the Oilers as a team in terms of personality were pretty on the on the, on the the vanilla side. I know what uh, <clears throat> I did mention, Brendan Perlini, he truly had a bit of personality. He showed he has a little bit of personality oh, he did to him. Yeah, but yeah, for the most part, though, this team was pretty pretty generic, pretty white bread. But no, um, that is a, a good point. Kane did bring, of course, Kane did bring some personality, of course. We can't, we can't ignore the fact that, yes, he had his personal matter. That is a major part of Evander Kane's life. But no, he did. He was able to unlock some things out of McDavid. And we saw McDavid's personality jump up a little bit more when he scored. When he scored big goals, when he scored goals against the Kings, against um, Calgary. I mean, we saw after the game winner against the Flames, how McDavid and Devin Shore, Shore were celebrating. Like, you almost never see McDavid get mm-hmm. that hyped up. Over any goal, doesn't matter if it's a game-winning goal, a goal to give the team the lead. Like that was something that was just so shocking because being in the press, being in the media rooms with McDavid, uh, post-game stuff, front-facing to the media, Connor is very like Connor can go through five guys in the opposing team and still say, yeah, well, you know, just you know, just wanted to win. But so it was striking to see him that fired up after the game winner against Calgary in Game Five. It was. And I'll add the the reason why I think my Kane theory is maybe stupid is, like I said, A, the winning could also explain it. And B, Kane's personality has typically not gone over well with his teammates. Like, it's not like he just has legal issues. His teammates tend to hate him everywhere he goes. And here they seem to love him. And so, mm-hmm. I'm, I don't know. That just genuinely makes me curious. I don't know if he turned a corner or if he's just finally met his people. Like I could say in my life. A lot of people don't like me, but some people really like me. So you find your people, and then you thrive. Um, so, yeah, maybe he's found his people. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, yeah, that, that's a sort of theory. Oh, just on the note of personality, it's another thing I like about Mike Smith. Great uh, great pads, and I don't know, he's funny. I know a lot of people hate him. I think his teammates clearly love him. So everyone's mad about him for pointing at his defensemen. His defensemen seem to love him, other than Caleb Jones. But Caleb Jones seemed to hate most of his team, so I don't know. Um, moving on, you touched in and on it already. I think both of you did. So I'll throw this one to uh, Megan, but Avery, just jump right in. How much can we read about Darnell Nurse being pretty bad all playoffs and terrible against the Avalanche, but incredibly injured? Does that say anything about him either way? No, it, it you know, it says that one, he's next level tough because he played through, um, a core muscle injury and then a torn hip flexor, which blows my mind. You can much less walk to play, to play hockey on that because I had a strained, really strained hip flexor in 2019 that saw me lose feeling in my hip and my right leg for quite some time. And it was tough getting the feeling back consistently. Like a strain is tough. A tear, I don't know how you can do that. Like that is just medically ridiculous to me that he was able to go through it. But it did affect his play. Like those two, those are two major injuries. And it yeah, was if Darnell was, yeah, like if he, if he was healthy, I think it would be a different story because he was clearly his play was clearly affected by those two injuries. So if he was healthy, I think it would have been a different story entirely because those impacted his play quite a bit. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't uh, agree more. They clearly did, and I'm inclined to say that you're right. We can't really draw any conclusions about him. Like this shouldn't change our opinion of him. He was very bad, but he was also very injured. But to a point Megan made earlier, the people who I feel should be ashamed is not Nurse. It's Holland. Because once Nurse 
got compromised, it was clear they did not have anyone they could bump up to that role and get even close. Like, I've been really happy with Brent Kulak. Really happy. He is not going to thrive on your first pair. Duncan Keith could not take those minutes at all. Uh, obviously, Broberg wasn't ready. They didn't have anyone on the right side who was capable of being so good that you could get by with actually your former best defenseman being uh, weak. So the Avalanche, to me, did the one thing that I was hoping that they would do is they showed Ken Holland beyond a shadow of a doubt that his defense was the problem with his team. It was not a strength. It was their greatest weakness because not only did the Avalanche forwards carve the Oilers' defense up, the Avalanche defense did a great job uh, to your point earlier, Megan, of not certainly not neutralizing the Oilers elite forwards, but like affecting them in a way that uh, the Calgary and uh, LA could not. Like there was a great play that um, Puck Soup was talking about this week, which it was a really quiet highlight, but McDavid came racing down the wing and Kale McCarr just cut up to him and knocked the puck off. But it wasn't just that it wasn't even just Kale McCarr. It was all the Avs defense. Like, Last season or even this season, McCarr missed like 10 or 15 games. No problem. We got Sam Gerrard we can bump up there. We got Devin Tabes is still anchoring that line. It's fine. We're not counting on one guy. I don't know. Megan, what uh, What are your thoughts on Darnell Nurse and the Oilers D in general? Well, I think – so here I got a I got a hot take about hockey culture and playing hard. It's stupid. Ooh. And people need to stop doing it. Um, it's one thing if you get like a little banged up or whatever you got, you know, like some kind of like – I don't know, contusion or whatever. But if you've got a torn muscle, like that's absolutely insane. And like, I understand and I get it. And like, we build up this, we hype up the playoffs and like, because it's the cup and whatever and all this bullshit. But like, at the end of the day, um, Darnell Nurse is 27 years old and he was moving like he was 40. Like he was, he looked like Duncan Keith at times and Duncan Keith is 38. And it was not great. And we all knew there was something wrong. And then when we found out after the fact that, yes, we knew there was a core muscle thing, but also a torn hip flexor, like, I just, I think the whole thing is absolutely stupid. But it does speak to the larger problem of the Oilers' defense because I was just, I pulled up their cap-friendly page. I was like, okay, so who's in the minor leagues? Nothing. Like, there's not a lot that is useful and viable to have to call up because you're right. There's nobody really to take that spot um, without you ultimately then having like your top pair really being like three, four guys and sort of working your way down. Um, but I think that the, that nurse's injury exploited a lot of the weaknesses in the defense that I think people already knew were there. I will say, I, I know I just said we can't draw any conclusions about nurse. Maybe it is one thing is it really showed how much he relies on his, his excellent athletic skills. Like he's normally very fast and very strong. And when he couldn't lean on his uh, speed and his strength to kind of make up for uh, some questionable decisions, uh, it really hurt him. Like that would obviously hurt most players, but some guys just their game actually doesn't suffer that much if they suddenly get slow and weak, but um, Mm -hmm. because they're thinking three steps ahead, uh, nurse is not st- thinking three steps ahead. He's a guy who needs to be fast and strong. Yeah. And I'll push back a little bit. Like I know there's every playoffs. There's a lot of takes like we shouldn't be encouraging play. We shouldn't be, shouldn't be praising guys for making bad health decisions. And I think depending on the injury, there's sometimes something to that, but I also am a really big believer in that's his life. Like 
he's not just going out there. It's not like you're he's going down the coal mine just to make uh, somebody money. He's going out there because he wants to go out there. Like that is absolutely what he himself wants to do. And will team doctors need to step in on things like uh, concussion issues? If like someone is essentially just playing through pain, it's their pain. It's, it's their call. The person that I think is being kind of wacky is the coach. Like at a certain point, your guy is clearly so compromised that even if you're like, well, he's better than Broberg, fine, but he's not a first pairing defenseman anymore. Like Nurse is better than Kulak, but is Nurse at 60% better than Kulak at 100%? Kulak's also an NHL hockey player. He's clearly good. Like, I don't, uh, I don't know why they lean on injured guys so much. Like, I really do think coaches get kind of hypnotized by the name on the back of the jersey. Uh, Avery, you've talked to coaches. Have you ever heard any of them talk about taking an injury into account? Coaches really seem to to feel like, well, if he can play, I'm just going to treat him like I do all the time anyway. Uh, some coaches are. Some coaches do want to take care of the players who are injured, but the majority do say themselves, you know what? He wants to play. He can play. He's he's good enough to play. Coaches really, coaches in a sense, really do want to say, you know, hey, if he can get up and get on the ice, then he'll play. Which I agree, the mentality should be stopped because is there not anybody else in our roster who can fill in or can give them a hand? Because, you know, I was, it was said before on our Yahoo show, Zone Time, our panelist Omar, TikTok Omar on Twitter, he said how, why would you not want to find a broom that's not functional then try to keep up the broom that's broken in three places and hope it works? The broom that works will be always be better than the broom that's broken in three places. But yeah, for the most part, the coaches are very in the mindset of, well, he's skating, well, he said he said he's good, doctors say he can play, he can play, which I agree that mentality should change because these players in the long run, we, we see before in TSN, we saw a documentary of these guys who are 40, 41 years old, dependent on pills or whatever um, medications, or they're waking up every morning and their back hurts, their knee hurts, they can't skate for a long time, they can't run, their head hurts. So the mentality has to change to an extent because I want to see these guys when they retire not living in pain for the next 55 years. I, yeah, I mean, yeah, I totally, I think that's true. I just think it's slightly more complicated than it sometimes gets. Uh, maybe that is, if I'm being totally honest, I am the sort of person who will prioritize the short-term thing that I want over how my quality of life at 62 is going to be. Though I will say, as I get older, I feel less inclined to see the world that way. Um, but to to your point, it. It makes some sense to me that a coach would say, okay, he's not 100%. Nobody's ever 100%. He says he can play. I'm going to put him in. But you can't treat him like his normal self. Like they were kept putting in, kept putting nurse in the position where he had to be normal nurse. And you're setting the guy up to fail. Like, okay, let's, I'm just going to make up some numbers. You can disagree with them at home, but let's just say nurse is a 90 out of 100 overall. And let's say uh, Kulak is at 84 out of 100 overall. Uh, and nurse is at 85% which is not bad, 85, pretty, that's an A. Uh, so, okay, we're saying he can play, but 85% of 90 is 76. So all of a sudden now Kulak, Kulak's better. And I know that it's not really that straightforward, but it's weird to me that they play people as if they were at 100%. Um, okay, if their defense is weak, they obviously we're coming into the offseason. Um, Avery, what do you think they should do? What's the priority? Defense, goalie, forward, and who do you want to see them get? What's your what's your move? Give us a quick overview of the summer of Avery if you're a GM. I would say right now, I would say the priority right now, first of all, has to be goaltending because you're looking at the looking at it right now, losing both Smith and Koskinen, 
with the fact that it's come out now that Smith is looking towards more retiring and costing with the deal to go play in Europe. So you're going to need to get a free agent goaltender in to work in a tandem with Stuart Skinner. I would want to get Husa out of St. Louis. He's my guy. He's my target to bring in to be a tandem with Stuart Skinner because I think that's the major thing we want to address. And then going forward, I think defense will be a thing that this team will take a look at. I don't think Tyson Berry will be around for much longer. I think Berry, Archibald, and Cassian, one way or another, are either moved or bought out. I don't see those three guys back here uh, next year. When it come, and then going to the forward core, I know people are talking about how the Oilers got to find a way to bring Kane back, got to find a way to bring Kane back. And yes, he did deliver when he in the time he played in Edmonton. But on top of the fact that he wants to get paid a lot of money, a lot more, you cannot pay him when it came from Kevin Weeks. He wants to get paid like he's an $8 million, $7 million guy. You can't afford to do that. So I think the guy you do try to target to play some of that scoring is someone who might get out of Chicago. And that's one, Alex DeBrincat, who played Carmen David. And people always say to me, oh, you know, DeBrincat, he's too small. He's too small. He's too small. Height isn't everything. Time and time again, we see GMs and coaches get burned because active height is the biggest factor in the world. Alex DeBrincat is a former 40-goal scorer who played junior with Carmen David. He knows Carmen well. Putting him on McDavid's line, I think is the thing you got to take advantage of. You can try and get. I don't care if the man five six. It really doesn't bother me. He's a forty goal guy. At this point, I don't even think NHL GMs will disagree with you. Like DeBrincat scored forty this most recent year. He scored forty one. Was a point a game player on a pretty not great Hawks team. Uh, I think while well, people were hesitant to draft a five foot seven Alex DeBrincat. I don't think any GM would be hesitant to take him now. He's shown that he's he's got the stuff. Uh, my only, but like, you're gonna have to trade a lot for Alex to bring Cat. Um, maybe I'll uh, before I go off on that, I'll say, Megan, what's your what's your plan if you're a GM? Uh, oh, yeah, what, what do you prioritize? Oh my God, so many things. Um, sorry, I'm just like just thinking about. Uh, how you introduced the heroes and the cowards. And I was like, as if the Oilers listened to this. Um, anyway, uh, what would I prioritize? Well, I think you have to solve your goaltending problem. Uh, I think that's an issue that needs to sort of be looked at. And it is a problem, right? Especially, um, I don't think Stuart Skinner and Mike Smith are going to get you into the playoffs. So I think that's the thing that you have to at least look at, right? I don't know. But I also think then, yeah, you have to, you have to figure out um, – you'll have to figure out something on defense because like, as we know, um, Ken Holland's press or media availability or whatever, press conference, whatever you want to call it on Wednesday. Uh, he says that Oscar Clefbaum is not going to play hockey this year. And that's the end of Clefbaum's contract after this year. Um, so that's the end of that, right? He's, he's not going to be uh, coming back. So that's, I mean, you know, that's just something that we have to accept. Um, but looking at what is here right now, um, for the six guys that the others have signed through next season, they have Darnell Nurse, Duncan Keith, Tyson Berry, Cody Cece, Evan Bouchard, and Philip Broberg are signed through next season. Um, and the problem with all of that is that Darnell Nurse and Duncan Keith uh, make up 18% of your salary cap. Uh, so in order to get someone like an Alex to bring it or whatever and onto this roster, there's going to be a lot of moving pieces uh, in order to do so because they don't have a ton of cap space. And I think that this is going to be a pretty tight 
off season for in like in terms of of salary. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I don't know. I don't know what you do. I don't have an answer to that question. Well, I'm, I have a an answer at the beginning of that. Um, yeah. Okay. I'll I'll start with the uh, the thing that you said. You're absolutely right. You just cannot have Darnell Nurse and Duncan Keith taking up uh, that much space. Um, they're they're not that good. Um, and I like Nurse. Even I don't want to pay him nine million dollars, but I'd be happy to pay him even up to seven. Even maybe even up to eight, but seven. I think he's a seven million dollar defenseman. Um, but uh, Duncan Keith is super not that good, and I think Keith is a fine third pairing defenseman. I think he's a little bit uh, over crapped on by some people, but he's a fine third pairing defenseman. He brings you even if you give him bonus points for his experience, he brings you two million dollars worth of value. You can't pay him five and a half when you're up against the, the cap. So the most important thing for the Oilers to do this summer is convince Duncan Keith to retire. If he retires, for those of you at home who might not know, because of weird cap recapture rules, because of the kind of contract he signed, we're not going to get into it because I don't really think it makes sense. But the Oilers get a, not only do they lose his $5.5 million salary, but they get a $3.5 million bonus. Duncan Keith retiring is a $9 million swing for the Oilers cap. So essentially they're paying him nine, there's $9 million of opportunity costs if he stays. They have to bribe him they've got to break the rules they have to do whatever it takes like say hey would you like to be a two million dollar scout from your cottage we'll just send you junior games you can watch them and and give us don't bother writing anything down just tell us who you like uh we'll give you two million dollars for that because he's only getting paid a million and a half of, of real money this season they have to have him retire if he doesn't retire they're just not going to get any better that's all like he takes up too much of their cap space whereas if he retires they actually could improve they could go from being a team that made the third round off a little bit of some good breaks to a team that can be expected to make the third round and will be competitive once they get there. That $9 million swing opens everything up. Um, so that's what I think their their top priority is. Uh, Avery, you you mentioned DeBrincat. What would you move for him? I'm curious. Right now, I would try and I would try and see if Chicago wants to get guys in the back. I would try to see if they would want some like a buried on the back and help them out defensively, but I know it's tough because they already have the Jones brothers. So it's it's something you try and convince them to take on, on that contract. But I think if you could try and try and convince Chicago they need more some more help on the back end, I would try and do it though. But again, they are so tied up right now in those two deals, it's tough to convince Chicago to take one on Barry contract. It might have to be, it might be a deal in which you might try and convince them on first round picks, but I don't know because right now Ken Holland has proven before that one problem he, he he can do is he cannot fleece the Blackhawks, which he proved before. Even though there's a new regime there, even though there's a new regime in Chicago, he's proven before that the Hawks have found ways to win trades, even when he's had the power in them. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Ken Holland is not a good trader. Like even if you like Ken Holland, and I think there are things you can say to say like. I don't know, pump him up a little bit. Uh, he does not have a long, proud history of winning trades. Um, Alex Brinkett has one more uh, deal left on his year. Or pardon me. One more year left on his deal. At which point he's young enough, he'll still be a restricted free agent. But he's uh, getting paid $6.4 million this year. I, th- I think that it would be a tough sell to get them to take Barry or really anybody designed to help them in the future because to hear them tell it, they're probably going to be tanking this year um i don't think their goal is going to be to win i think they're hoping to get bedard um i think that if they can convince kane and tabes to take a deal they'll probably move those guys uh yeah so i think you'd be looking at 
a couple of firsts is probably the starting point to maybe a young player. Like to be honest, if we're trading for Debrincat, it wouldn't surprise me if Yamamoto is going the other way, because I think that, well, uh, GMs believe in short guys now in ways that they didn't used to. I still don't think they want to load up on them. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, I w I would expect the price to be two firsts and a good player. Let's say two firsts in Yamamoto. I will agree with you that Debrincat's an excellent player and they should absolutely explore that possibility but I'm just going to name off some UFAs this summer. And obviously we wouldn't be the only teams going for these guys. And maybe they're going to resign with the teams they're currently with, but here are guys heading towards unrestricted free agency that we could just sign. David Perron, Ryan O'Reilly, Valerie Kushkin, um, Dil or Ryan Strom. Also there's rumors that Dylan Strom won't be qualified by the Blackhawks. Um, Andre Palat, uh, Dome. And then here's, there's a slightly lower tier here of, Actually, I'd say Domi is in a much lower tier, but, you know, Niederreiter, uh, Burakovsky, Riley Smith, Vincent Trocek, uh, Ricard Raquel, uh, cop out of um, New York is uh, is heading for, it sounds like he's probably going to re-sign. Technically, he's a pending UFA. And then there's like a lower tier still of guys who uh, aren't very flashy, but I think they just could help the the forward core that you don't have to trade for. Old Andreas Athanasiu. He's a UFA. Zach Aston Reese is an all defense player. So is Johan Larson. Uh, Nick Paul, who we tried to trade for before. Uh, Vinny Hinestroza is a UFA winger. Evan Rodriguez. So there's, uh, he's a center, but there's a lot of good forwards available for free. Does it, is it worth that much to you? Other than, obviously, I say for free, you'd have to pay them a lot. Uh, is it worth that much to you to get Connor McDavid's old line mate, Avery? I'd say it can help. You want to bring in some. You want, you do want to bring in some guy who McDavid knows is comfortable with. I like. They, I think they could find. They could um get back the magic that made them work so well on the Erie Otters. But there's a good list of guys you mentioned right there. I mean, I know he might probably wouldn't come, but Ryan O'Reilly still has a lot of game left. I love seeing him in Oilers uniform. I don't think he'd be coming to Edmonton though, which is the one thing. Who knows? Um, yeah, I, I expect he'll resign in St. Louis, and even if he goes to UFA, he's is he's definitely getting slower. But I agree, I really like him. I think he would fit perfectly. I would I would jump at the chance to sign him. Um, Megan, you said that your top priority would be fixing the goaltending. I think that's great in a perfect world. But how? I actually don't see anyone who's better than Mike Smith available. There's a bunch of guys who much like Mike Smith have they've got a real high ceiling, but they're massive question marks. Like uh, Avery already mentioned, uh, Huso or uh, I don't. I don't I won't list you a bunch of UFAs again, but who would you go with? Well, see, here's the thing. So this ties into what you said about Duncan Keith. If the Oilers can convince Duncan Keith to retire and they get all that money, which, you know, that's the rules. And if they can somehow convince Mike Smith to retire, which I will say, based on what he said on Tuesday, I think he's like 60-40 leaning towards retirement, just based on how he phrased things. Because someone who is not seriously thinking about it would have had some very different things to say um at the end of all that anyway <clears throat> and then Koskinen's off the book so your goaltender your goaltending situation then is as Avery said Stuart Skinner and a UFA or something but what you have if Keith retires and if Smith retires is approximately 11 million dollars of extra money that you didn't have um, in order to, and then I think that that makes it a little bit easier to either make a deal for a goaltender or um, potentially be able to sign somebody um, as your like presumptive one A. Uh, I don't know who, and like I don't have a solution to that because I honestly like I don't pay that much attention. But I do think that the 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 probably the most important thing for the offseason is getting Duncan Keith off of the roster, and then 
the other pieces will kind of fall into place after that. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's going to help them. And so is uh, replacing Koskinen with Skinner. Like, I think that they're pretty comfortable with Skinner going in as at least the 1B. Like, he's had great He's had a great last couple of years. I think you can say he can at least be an NHL backup. Maybe he can even play 30 to 45 games if you get another decent guy. And he is about $4 million cheaper than Koskinen. But replacing Smith, there's just a bunch of other question marks who they're younger than him. That's what they've got going. But you've got guys like Cuso. Chris Dreiger sounded like he was on the, the trade market, but he just got injured. So I guess he's he's off it. Um, I My hunch is we're going to sign Braden Holtby for two to three million dollars basically we're paying smith he used to be awesome now he's looking kind of old lately um i don't know i don't see an obvious uh i I just don't see who the obvious person that we should go get is the best ufa goalie is darcy kemper uh playing for the abs right now but he's only pretty good in the first place and he's pardon me often injured in the second place so i don't know if he's gonna be worth the big ufa money um I hope that they fix the D you guys have focused. Pardon me. You guys have focused on uh, goaltending and forward so far. I mean, we want just some general improvement, but for me, the top priority is fixing the D and assuming Duncan teeth retires. That means um, going to get a, someone who is capable of subbing in for Darnell nurse. If he gets hurt uh, to me, someone who's doesn't even have to be an everyday top pairing guy, but somebody with top pairing upside. And uh, Jacob Chikrin is the obvious option. Uh, Travis Sandheim's out there. It'd be really nice to get one of these guys off retained salary because we're right up against the cap. So, like, my priority would be overpaying in a trade, and then you could get uh, some salary retained. Um, but that's what that's what I would do. I won't ramble on too much about what uh, my plan would be. If you really believe in Philip Broberg, you can, I guess, put him in pen in there. But I would probably be trading Broberg this summer to get someone who I was sure about. Um, and yeah, the guys that I like the most are either chicken or Sandheim, but th- there's, there's quite a few, there's, there's almost no goalies who I feel would fix our salute, our situation. And we could say, well, there it is. It's fixed, but there's lots of defensemen out there who I think we could say there it is. It's fixed. And that's why I'd, I'd focus on D because I think that one could actually get done. That pretty much wraps up the Oilers. Anybody else have anything to say about the Oilers? No. All right, then. Uh, the NHL handed out a bunch of awards. Uh, you guys have any thoughts on the awards? Uh, they are not all out so far, but uh, Coach of the Year is uh, Daryl Sutter. You like that one, Avery? You know what? It was well-deserved. What Sutter did from this year, the turnaround of Calgary from last year to this year, it was very well-deserved. He got them in the second round. He had, they won the division title. So I have no arguments to see Daryl Sutter getting nominations or winning to Jack Adams. But I saw the two. Um, Jay Woodcroft got quite a few votes. And interim coaches in the Jack Adams race almost never get votes for the award. So to see Woodcroft there, that's pretty cool to see him come, I believe, 12th in Jack Adams voting this year. Yeah, that was uh, great to see. Um, I really like Woodcroft uh, as I'm a sucker for the style of play that he plays. Like, I'm a style of play guy, which is why, for me, the coach of the year is Jared Bednar. Like, I realize that team is insanely stacked, but they play great together part of the reason why they're stacked or why they look stacked is i think he knows how to put guys in positions to succeed um i like i think dave manson coaches the defense similar to the way colorado loads it up so um but yeah i I can't complain about daryl sutter uh megan patrice bergeron set uh, the record for the defensive forward of the year awards you got any thoughts on that one um i mean sure Here's the question, and I, I feel like, I mean, I know what a defensive forward I think is supposed to be. My question is, 
did Patrice Bergeron win this award because he's Patrice Bergeron or because he was actually the best defensive forward in the league this year? I think this year he did win it because he was probably the best. I think in years past, he's won it because he's Patrice Bergeron. Um, and this is one of the awards that I just find really interesting because like, I know what they're trying to reward, but uh, I don't know. It I seems like that's... a weird award. I, I agree with you. I think the Selkie trophy is badly defined also, especially over the last 10 or 20 years, it became the best defensive offensive player. Like you have to score at least 30 goals to be considered, which I think is not in the spirit of the award. If there's a guy who absolutely shuts everything down and doesn't score at all, it's just for best defensive player. He get, he he gets it. And I agree with you. I think that uh, Bergeron has won it on reputation in the past, but by all accounts, his defensive analytics are off the like chart breaking this season uh they're amazing so i will admit i i watched a few Bruins games and the perfection line still looks amazing uh Mm -hmm. i couldn't say that my eye test revealed him being way better but his analytics are uh are incredible um if it will go off uh i don't think the i think those are the only two like major awards that have been been announced but uh you have any predictions coming up for the awards the norris and the heart are both look like pretty close races yeah, no, North and Hart, those are two. I'd say the Hart is going to be one which, again, you have endless debate. You're going to have endless debates from so many shows forever and ever, ever. Oh, man, which hockey Twitter is going to break as per usual. I would say, though, for the Norris, I would not be surprised if Kale McCarr wins the Norris. But even though, even though it should go to Roman Yossi, because Roman Yossi had a 90 point season, the first D man to have that since Brian Leach, 1993 94, what he did. With the with the predators was incredible. Although I have a feeling it goes to Makar, even though I do want to go to Roman Yossi this year. Yossi had a ninety six point season. It looked for a while like he might hit a hundred. Uh, I actually exactly disagree with you. I think that Yossi is going to win, and I'm not mad about that at all. I think he had an amazing season. Um, he is a very deserving candidate. I would probably still vote for Makar. Makar had ten fewer points. I just think that Makar is a little bit better. He has better defensive effects. Um, I think he's an excellent... I'm not saying Yossi is a terrible defensive player, but I think that Makar is an excellent one. Uh, Makar can really pick his spots physically. He's not constantly throwing uh, big hits out there, but he does on occasion. Um, yeah, I, I'm just a huge Kale Makar fan, so I think he is the best defenseman in the NHL. But if Yossi wins it, he had such an amazing season, I can't complain. And I feel similarly about Austin Matthews. I think that... Uh, Connor McDavid is the best player in the NHL, but Austin Matthews had such an amazing season that if he wins it, I couldn't complain. Being a defense, like Connor McDavid, I think it's gotten better defensively. I think that Austin Matthews is significantly better than that. Like you could say that Austin Matthews is a very strong two-way player and also scoring 60 goals. And he also missed a handful of games. So like on points per game, he was fourth in the league. I know if you just look at raw points, he's he's back a little bit further. But on points per game, he's he's fourth behind Dreisaitl, uh, McDavid and Kucherov very quietly was third in points per game, but he missed a ton of time. So I don't know. I think I think that I've heard some people say it's going to be a grossing miscarriage of justice when uh, Austin Matthews wins the Hart Trophy because I think in the playoffs, Connor McDavid firmly established that, no, I'm actually the best player. But I think that's perfect. Austin Matthews has a slightly better regular season, wins the award, and then McDavid erases all doubt as to who's the actual best player. That's exactly what Avery said. That's going to get people talking. That's but going to raise is- engagement. But this is why people get mad because the Hart Trophy is not for the best player in the league. If it was for the best player in the league, Taylor Hall would never have won that award. The Hart Trophy 
is um, the annual award for the most valuable player to his team in the National Hockey League. And then there's a lot of ways that you could look at that. There's a reason why goalies generally don't win that because they've got the own goalie award, blah, 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 blah. But I would argue that, like, I think in terms of actual value to his team, I think that as good as, like, Mitch Marner and, say, William Nylander and potentially John Tavares, I don't watch the Leafs. I don't care all that much. As good as they are, I think that Connor McDavid has a line mate who is obviously significantly better than all of those guys. Therefore, his impact on the Oilers is not as significant because he has someone else who like plays with him. Whereas I think Matthews, not that he's carrying the team necessarily, but I do think that he is significantly better than the next best player on their team. And I think that if you're looking at the, in the spirit and the, of that definition, I get why people will be mad if McDavid doesn't win, but they're also wrong. I sort of disagree. I think that it's just who had the best season and it's not who was the most better than their next best player, their next best landmate. It's just who had the best season. But I will say the part that I really agree with, and I think we mostly agree, is it's just who had the best season. The fact that McDavid has had the better career and is a better bet to have a better season next year, neither of those things matter. It's who was the best player this season. We're only talking about this season, this regular season, not the playoffs, who had the best season. And uh, being one of the top 10 defensive centers in the league while also scoring 60 goals, uh, that sounds that's an amazing season. Mm-hmm. And I, I won't. I think you could still make a good case for Connor McDavid. I don't think it's like a slam dunk for Matthews, but I think it's uh, pretty much a coin flip. I'd mm-hmm. be tempted to. I think 60 goals and better defensive uh uh, numbers, I'd probably go with Matthews if I'm being totally honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think, think it, yeah, it really the course. Man. Well, I want to mention to you mentioned the awards here. Um, another award that I wrote about for hockey news was the Masterton, and the nominees this year are Kevin Hayes, Carey Price, and Daniel Chara. And what I've been against for a very long time is the idea that we need to have player tragedies competing against each other. I never liked it. We shouldn't be having the we shouldn't have writers determine oh whose story was worse who came back from more tragic situation to return to hockey it should be you have your team nominees and all thirty two players per year win the Masterton they all go they all go to the NHL awards they all appear on stage they only get their moment and that's it no more voting for the Masterton trophy from now on I want interesting. Oh, it's good. Good comments on the Masterton, a rarely discussed award, but good point. I agree with um, you on that because, like, okay. the thing about it is, I mean, I get, I understand where that idea comes from, um, and the reason that it's named after Masterton, he died like after an injury that he sustained during a game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, anyway, I just like, yeah, I just, I feel like it's a weird thing because you have somebody uh, coming back from um, addictions, right? I mean, like we we cloak it by saying substance abuse, but we have someone who, who goes through rehab and treatment for an addiction uh, as well as an injury and wins. That's fine. Um, Oscar Lindblom was last year. Uh, he had, um, yeah, he had cancer and he came back and played in the playoffs in 2020. Uh, Bobby Ryan, again, uh, alcoholism and PTSD. Um, Robin Leonard. Like, I just, yeah, it's like, it's showcasing, it's showcasing trauma 
in a really weird way. Um, and it feels kind of weird sometimes that it's like, oh, this season, your public trauma was worse than these other guys. And so we're going to reward you for that. But it kind of in a way minimizes the other things that happen with the other players. And I just, I feel like it's a weird, it's a weird, it's a weird thing to recognize with an award, if you will. It It is. And it's, it's a tricky one. Like sometimes like, I mean, one of the award winners was Zdeno Chara who uh, didn't have uh yeah, right. He was a, a nominee this year, right? Uh, he um, didn't have anything terrible. He's just really committed to hockey. He's playing into his 40s. He could retire, but he just loves the game so much that he's playing. And he's not the first old guy. Like, sometimes the old guy who just keeps playing wins it. Like, Steve Eiserman sure. won the award for being an old guy playing. So um, did Jeremy Yager. Yeah, for just like, wow, this guy loves hockey. That's really cool. Um, but you're right. Uh, sometimes it is definitely tied to personal tragedy. And I don't know. To me, this is very closely linked to what we were talking about earlier in the the podcast is people playing through injuries and the degree to which that's good or not good. And I feel the same way about the way we as a society celebrate going through trauma. I think there's a lot that's good about that for the same reason. Basically, a certain level of grit is important in life. Like, um, I know there's a real movement in society right now to, to like down with man up that we should stop telling people to man up. We need to tell people to like let themselves heal and not play through the pain like in life, not just in, in hockey. Like, don't be afraid to take a day off when you need one at work, uh, that kind of thing. Don't don't just grit it out. But you obviously and I think most people would agree with this. A certain amount of that actually is healthy. You can't totally shut down every time something goes wrong for you and a certain amount of overcoming a healthy overcoming of trauma involves saying i'm not going to let this define me i am going to defeat this negative experience but then uh you don't want to glorify trauma either i don't know i just think it's genuinely a a tricky issue like i will say that growing up in the era of uh nirvana absolutely everybody i shouldn't say everybody i wanted to be depressed i thought that my life was too good that i should have more trauma because there's something about the way that like grunge music was presented that it was very cool to be sad and to have things going wrong for you. And that's not good. I think that was bad. I still love that music, but the, there was something about that presentation that uh, you shouldn't be. And as people uh, experience trauma will say, don't glorify this. This is bad. Be happy you've avoided this. Uh, but I think it's a genuinely tricky thing to celebrate pushing past it without celebrating the trauma itself and to like know where to draw the line on healthy grit versus unhealthy, uh, you know, screwing yourself for results. Well, that's I was just thinking about in the NFL, because correct me if I'm wrong, every team in the NHL, they have a master to nominee and then somebody votes on and they decide who wins it, right? Yeah. In the NFL, uh, they have an award called the Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year. And it's honoring a player's volunteer and charity work as well as excellence on the field. And every team has a nominee. Um, and then it's announced at the Super Bowl between or like right around right before the game, I think, uh, before the anthems and they announce and it's like a pretty big deal. Uh, it's not the league MVP. It's not any of those things. And I wonder if instead of sort of commodifying players' trauma, which seems to be to happen if you were to look at the last number of Masterton winners until you get back to Yager, it's all been like, this guy came back from this terrible thing. Um, if it was maybe, if it maybe would make more sense to maybe shift that a little bit towards that, like, so still the teams have their nominee and then it's decided on. But instead of like 
being like, well, your wife died of cancer and this happened to this guy and this happened to this guy and this happened to this guy. Which one of these is the worst and who are we going to put on the trophy? It's a little bit less about that and a little bit more of like, you know, um, contributions on the ice, but also broader communities. Sounds like the King Clancy Award, which is one of my personal favorite awards. I I don't know how much people it's nice that we're like no this person's actually doing some good in the community we should recognize that and two of my favorite all-time oilers uh uh, moro and ferentz both won it so uh good for them but like i but you know i just i wonder if i don't know how i don't think the masterson trophy i just i hate it because i think it's gross and i think that like there comes a point where it's like you know you're rewarded for coming back like people are arguing about um carry price winning it this year because they only played two games and I'm like, yeah, you know what? Fair. That's a fair point. I think that's a fair argument. Um, but how do you, who decides like what is worse and what is better? And, you know, I just, so I don't know, maybe they should just, maybe each team does a Masterton thing. And it's like, here, here's who, who we think in our dressing room deserves it and then just be done with it rather than a league wide award. Yeah, no, that's true. I also think a ton depends on personality. Like I think some people, um, like if they experience a family tragedy and then they're publicly kind of supported and celebrated for that, some people that will mean a lot to them and other people will say, I really wish you hadn't brought more attention to this. And it's, it's hard to account for the differences in personality. Um, mm-hmm. Like I'm sure we all remember uh, former Oilers goalie UC Marks uh, lost his child and I didn't get the Masterton award, but he got a lot of public support for that and i remember at the time getting the impression that he really appreciated it as some people will but i also think you're totally right that for a lot of people it's uh this is not the thing that i would like to talk more about actually um so i don't know it's tough to it's tough i think this is a genuinely tricky issue Mm -hmm. anyway it'll be interesting it's fun to see when people get really mad when austin matthews wins the heart trophy i think that that's probably what's gonna happen i will uh just quickly throw out people getting mad because they get the awards (laughs) wrong is not a bad thing that no we're we're talking i feel the same way about the oscars i like it when the oscars get the awards wrong that's almost what i want them to do as long as it's within like a certain range i like them to nominate the wrong people but when you get to like argue with your friends about who should have won that's good that's what awards are for is to drive conversation and to make it more fun to follow so it's it's fine with me when the the awards screwed up as long as they get it mostly right uh all right megan i believe you have a very personal questions for us I do. We were going to do them last time, but then we had some tech difficulties. Uh, I don't know if anyone noticed, but uh, Stephen cut off in the middle of probably what he claims was an epic rant. Um, But where it cut off on our audio, it was like the end of a sentence. So I just assumed he was done talking. And I was like, oh, perfect. Let's just carry on. Uh, Anyway, so I have two, um, only two questions uh, today. The first question is, uh, what is a talent that you would most like to have? Just one. Um, uh, music, uh, like either music or speaking languages. Those are the two things that I'm both not naturally good at, and I like them so much. Um, so one of those, like, I don't know if you'd count learning languages as a talent, I think, but people would for sure describe music that way. Mm-hmm. Um, with like a distant third being like either playing hockey or doing gymnastics. I, those are my two athletic things that I enjoy doing the most. and I'm not good at those either. So, um, 
there's my top four. But yeah, I would say this, that if I found a genie after I finished fixing the world and making it a better place, I would just ah. focus on uh, increasing my uh, talents. I think being talented sounds really fun, and I wish that I was. Okay, hey, everyone, about you? Thank God I'm so good at making love, my other passion. <laughs> I got one talent. And luck is oh. the most important one. But I wish that I could also speak languages and play music and had a better slap shot. Yeah, I will steal language one. Yeah. <laughs> there was a point in my life when I could do a backflip off of like an eight inch ledge, but I needed eight, I could never do it straight off the ground. And that was I what really I like wanted. that you now stopped yourself right it. there from saying, but I needed eight inches. Like, ah. you heard it, you're like, I'm not. <laughs> yo, you know hey, what? yo. Hey, wow. I got actually a lot of comments on that or thoughts on that subject, but I don't know if uh, kids listen to the podcast or not. If people want to hear my thoughts on uh, lovemaking. <laughs> if you want to hear my thoughts on lovemaking, reach out to me directly on Twitter. <laughs> oh, okay, Avery, what would you like your uh, You're better off with me? six, is what I'm saying. Uh, but, <laughs> well, I will. You want to have to work hard at the other stuff. It's not good ah. to be anyways. <laughs> All right. Well, I will steal languages one because being as somebody who works in media, I should know more languages. And working in hockey, I would love to try and learn more languages like Swedish, German, Russian, even for, even for working in, ba in baseball somewhat, Spanish as well, too, because I know it's going to be really important. But, you know, hey, I'm the kind of guy where I've been on Duolingo before, I'll do a lesson for like a week and a half and then forget. It's like, oh. I was trying to learn. I was trying to learn French. Oh well, we're <laughs> like I go back to it again in like a month, do it for five more days, and forget again. So, being fluent in languages is a talent I wish I had more um, for for my career. But in terms of another talent, as original, I would being as a kid who grew up playing basketball, wanting to dunk is a talent I wish I had as well too. <laughs> Um, Excellent. I I think the languages. There's a common one. I would love to be able to like more easily learn languages. Um, I think languages are very cool. I think uh, it would be really fun. I oh, One of my favorite things, I'm like reasonably fluent in French. Uh, one of my favorite things when I was living in Europe was to like be places uh, not in France. I liked being in France. That's not what I'm saying. I love France. But to be places that weren't France, but listen to people speak French and assume that other people couldn't understand what they were saying. And every once in a while, I would accidentally laugh. Um, and then people think, oh, God. Uh, I used to work at another <laughs> high school here in the city, different from the one that I'm at now. And uh, I, most of my friends at the time were people in like the second languages department. And we had a French immersion program there as well. And I would eat lunch with them a lot. And I did the same thing. No one knew that understood what they were talking about until one day I accidentally laughed at a joke. And then one of the teachers uh, only ever referred to, like spoke to me in French and I hated it. And I would always answer him in English out of spite. Um, but yes, I would love the language thing. I also would really like to improve um, like my cooking, my like knife skills and those sorts of things. And I know I could do that. I could go take a class or whatever, but I am lazy and I don't want to spend the money. But I would love to learn how to like actually properly chop vegetables and stuff. I think that would be, uh, I think that would be very nice. And I think I would enjoy that. Um, okay, the other question that I have, which words or phrases do you most overuse? Indeed. <laughs> Whenever someone says something and I like don't, like I think, yeah, that's basically right. And either I just have nothing to say back to that or uh, I don't want to spend the next 
45 minutes talking about this. Um, I'll just say indeed. So that's probably it. Yep, that sounds about right. <laughs> I will say what I use, I don't think as much of, but in my writing, I use two markets in the form of, and I know my Yes, you do. Home. It's so annoying yes. to edit that. I know I do it way too much. <laughs> and there's many times where editors from different places will, you know, when they when they're going through my stuff and say, if you use in the form of again, I'll kill you. <laughs> I mean, I've never threatened that, but yes, I I agree. That is that is the thing that you overuse in your writing a lot. Yes. Um <laughs> that's really funny. I know going with the writing thing, something I'm very guilty of, it's not a word or a phrase, but when I first start writing anything. I use way too many commas and then have to go back and take them all out because I realized that no, a comma doesn't actually go there. That's just where my brain stopped thinking for a second um, rather than where I would put a natural pause in the writing. So I do that a lot in terms of speaking. I don't know about in my personal life, but professionally, the thing that I say probably more than anything else is if a kid is not on task and is not doing the thing that I want them to be doing, I will say, Avery, do you need me to explain that to you again? And I'll say it just like that. Um, and I say that an awful lot. There's one class that I teach this semester that I say that to, like, constantly. Uh, but I think that's one of the things that I say. Or when I'm really frustrated with an entire group of kids, I will say, please raise your hand if you have already gotten credit for Social Studies 20. And I'll be, of course, the only person who's raised their hand because it's a Social 20 class. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. So stop talking and let me do my job. I say that a lot too. That's a good one. Um, Sometimes they're not very nice, but that's those are personally I don't know what I have, but professionally those are two of the things that I say an awful lot. I, one of my favorite sarcastic uh, opinions that um, most people don't like, like it never. I think I'm the only one who thinks this is a funny thing to say. Is is that your medical opinion? Whenever someone <laughs> is, in my opinion, talking out of their ass very confidently, I say, oh really? Is that your medical opinion? And uh, it doesn't go over, but it makes me laugh. Um, and that's what's most important. I concur. We're, who, who are we you here on Earth to impress, if not ourselves? You also say, I concur a lot. Oh, not no, overused, but it is a thing that you say when you actually agree. I have quite a few, like, overused is an interesting one, because I have quite a few, like, go-to Stephen-isms. Like, there's a lot of things that I uh, I do. Like, one time we had, uh, me and my friends had a dress as someone else at the party party, where... We all came and you had to pick one of the group, like, you know, someone else to impersonate and you like tried to dress like them and just like be like do them, like do bits as them uh, all night. And I was a very popular choice because there's just a lot to impersonate. Um, <laughs> some one, one of the things I actually stopped doing because everyone did it at the party, which was when I was making a point, I'd poke my my palm and say, it's like this. Listen to me. It's like this. You guys can't see on video, but I'm fiercely pointing at my palm and everyone did that all night and I had to stop. <laughs> <laughs> it's always nice when people like mimic the things that you do and you have to sort of contend with it. Yep. Um, I'm sure I have others, but I kind of have to go. So I'm going to stop, stop uh, trying all to answer good. the question. That's all say, good. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> well, this was a lot of fun. Thank you for joining us on Rig Radio. Thank you uh, for Megan to coming up with the personal questions and Avery for uh, just just being you, your general excellence, lending some credibility to this ragamuffin rigmarole. 
And to you, Oilers fans, I wish uh, happiness, peace, serenity, and the wisdom to accept the things you cannot change, etc. Goodbye.